Rashtuni Radio presents The American Indian, a standing indictment against Christianity and statism in America, by R.J. Rashtuni, narrated by Robert Halliday, produced with permission by the Calcedon Foundation. Chapter 4. Power. One aspect of Indian life has remained on my mind nearly 50 years after I began my work at Oahi. I was reminded of it again in reading Patrick Marnham's So Far From God by the observation. The Indians originally venerated Cortes as a god. They respected strength. They were ruled by very powerful gods, and a man who could overthrow those would be acknowledged. The Paiute and Shashun Indians had a like respect for power. This attitude may have changed since my departure, but I question whether it has, although Christian Indians did not share it. An old man told me of an incident which had occurred when he was a boy. Not too many years after the Civil War, his father was with the army. Among the army scouts was a young Apache, about 15 years old. One night, while eating dinner, some of the soldiers teased him about his youth. The young Apache left the campfire in quiet anger. He reappeared at the breakfast the next morning, carrying the heads of the two of the Indians whom the unit had been pursuing, which he tossed into the circle of men without a word. He was never teased again. Because of their respect for power, the Indians had an ambivalent view of the white man. His power, numbers, and scientific achievements were very much appreciated. The Indian might not like the white man, but he respected him. Pragmatic realism was very much a part of these Indians' thinking. Owing to this respect for power, there was a corresponding disrespect for powerlessness. The clearest expression of this was in their attitude towards blacks. In those years, blacks were not numerous in the West, and they were uncommon in small towns and rural areas. As an example of the Indians' attitude, I can cite their abuse of a black man who worked at the Rio Tinto copper mine. The miner felt close to the Indians as a fellow minority people. The Indian miners played along with this. The black miner asked for an invitation to the reservation during duck hunting time, and the Indians agreed. When he arrived, all eagerness and happy friendliness, he was told to sneak towards the pond on all fours, through the brush, to avoid frightening the ducks. The Indians well knew that the area was full of rattlesnakes. The black man crept quietly toward the pond until he came almost face to face with a rattlesnake. Providentially, he jumped up and back so rapidly that he was not bitten. The Indians doubled up with laughter. The black man quickly understood the situation, got into his automobile and left. He soon came to realize that no Indian would regard him as an equal, whereas some white men would, 
and most wise men would be reasonably fair to him. This duck pond episode was often retold by the Indians with a great deal of laughter. To them, blacks were inferior, and their feelings did not count. One Indian said, We fought against the white man, and we lost. But the blacks never fought. He saw whites as superior, and the Indian as a close second. The black man had not fought, to his knowledge, and so did not count. In some areas, blacks intermarried with Indians. I am of the opinion that this usually occurred where blacks fought back against enslavement and escaped. Such defiance would have earned them the Indians' respect. The Indian attitude was not in terms of race or color, but of warrior standards. The tribes I knew had seen whites and Chinese join them in previous generations. The Chinese were men who escaped from railroad construction gangs. What mattered was a man's exhibition of the traits of the fighter and the hunter. This veneration of power was very notable to me, especially because I saw the same characteristic become very prominent in the white American culture by the 1960s. One aspect of it was the rise of groupies, girls who eagerly submitted sexually to power figures in the popular culture. Popular musicians, athletes, film and television stars have since then been pursued with intensity by women, young and not so young, who feel it is an honour to be used sexually by them. Frankly, nothing I ever saw among the Indians matched in intensity this power worship that became so prevalent in the United States. If the omnipotent and all-gracious God of Scripture is not worshipped, men will pursue their adoration of power in other ways. The groupie is one among many such forms of submission to power. While I was among these Indians, their use of peyote in some limited circles was condemned by other Indians as well as by most whites. One of the illusions created by peyote was a release from human limitation into a blissful euphoria. It gives illusions of power. Non-peyote Indians regarded the users as low-class Indians in those days and despised them. They resented the fact that some university scholars treated the peyote people as true or good Indians. They point out that the use of peyote is modern and came into the country from Mexico. They were, on the whole, accurate in seeing the peyote users as low-class Indians. While there were a few exceptions, all too many of the peyote people were the misfits of the tribes. Peyote gave them the illusion of having power and wisdom. It is not an accident, I believe, that as groupies have become common in white America, so too has drug addiction. Again, it is part of the quest for association with power, and drugs provided the necessary illusion. God's being is more than simply power. He is justice, love, grace, law, and far more. The Christian's worship of God 
is not the bare adoration of power, but the worship of the supreme, ultimate and absolute person, God. As a result, there is no warping of the believer's life by undue emphasis on one particular trait as against the whole person. White American culture has far outstripped that of the Indians in its worship of power, with deadly results.